As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. A quick word from my team at thisisbracketracing.com. On behalf of my co-instructor, Justin Lamb, that is five-time NHRA world champion, Justin Lamb, Justin and myself will be hosting a live webinar on Tuesday night. That is December the 1st. Uh, it's free. And um, we're going to do this. I don't know if, if you've been a part of any of our free webinars in the past. Typically, we've got a, uh, a structure, a theme, a specific uh, topic that we're going to focus on, whether that be the finish line, the starting line, the mental game, what have you. What we're going to do this time around is uh, a little bit different. We, Justin and I have kind of picked out a handful of the most common, most relevant questions that we're presented with regularly, both within our elite community and beyond. And so we're just going to have a pretty informal conversation answering some of those questions. And we've only got a handful of those. And then we're going to turn it over to you and just be live, very informal, and try to be as helpful as we can, answering any questions, touching on any topics that pertain to things that you may be struggling with in your racing right now. So again, it's free. It's Tuesday night, December 1st. Uh, sign up in advance at thisisbracketracing.com slash webinar. Again, thisisbracketracing.com slash webinar. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss Tim Nicholson and Stephanie Buston Nass. Big Jed, how are you? Luke, I am well. Uh, things couldn't be better right now. Wrapping up the season, getting ready for one of my favorite holidays, Thanksgiving. I can already taste all the good groceries and everything. I've got uh, Thanksgiving with my family Thursday right on noon, and I don't get to eat again until about 2 o'clock that afternoon. Yeah, that's two hours later at my wife's family. So I've got Thanksgiving slam back-to-back, really looking forward to it. I'm uh, going to try to put on a show Thursday. How about you, bud? In the hierarchy of holidays, where does Thanksgiving fall for you? You said one of your favorites. What, what's on par? What, what is maybe a step above? Well, I really enjoy Fourth of July because that is, uh, that's WFC time. Fair. So Fourth of July is right up there. That's probably my favorite. Obviously, Labor Day uh, coming in a very close second because the Labor Day 250K and then holidays I get to eat on are all pretty much on an even dotted line, just tied side by side. <laughs> Thanksgiving's one of my favorites. I'm a big Halloween fan. I think I'd, I'd put those neck and neck. Hmm. Okay. And uh, yeah, I guess if you're going to tie it into racing, I, I like Labor Day. Labor Day is always, you know, in recent years, it's indie. I, I really enjoy the big go. Uh, growing up, it was the Labor Day landslide at home at Kennedale. Has had some success over Labor Day, like it was a good race weekend. So I guess yeah. I guess those would be at the top of my list too. Yeah, all of them. I love them all. All right. So listen, it's been a it's been a trying year. I feel like it's been a trying couple of weeks. We were just talking off air. Like I feel like I personally know more people either infected with COVID or have have. Uh, have been tested positive in the last two weeks than mm-hmm. I do uh, people that have been tested positive over the last eight months combined. Like it's absolutely gone nuts between that, the election, all the other stuff. Like, I feel like we just need a break, Jed. Yeah, definitely. We, we need to break up all this serious business with some fun. Luke, this, uh, the sports and drag racing podcast with Luke and Jed is all about fun. And that's what we're going to have this evening. Absolutely. We we did this last year. I actually had my memory of this was a little bit foggy. I was thinking that this was a tradition that we were putting together. We did do this, but we did it as our our decade awards for the 2010s. But we're going to try to make this an annual annual thing going forward. So what we're going to do today, we're going to review 2020 in a way that I, I think only we can, Jed. We we've got we've got <laughs> awards i actually went through we went a little bit we went a little bit nuts on this i think we've got 15 16 awards that we're going to hand out today from the 2020 racing season from the relatively serious to the to the not so serious um we're gonna have a little bit of fun with this uh, looking through the list without spoiling anything for the for the listener as to what's coming jed what particular award or handful of awards are you most excited to hand out on today's show 
<laughs> well, that's a great question, uh, kind of spur of the moment question. But I quote of the year, um, you know, I'm I'm debating on because the one that I put in for quote of the year, I'm debating on how to deliver that. Uh, that's that's exciting yet scary. So that's got my my blood pumping a little bit. And then always, you know, the normal ones. But I'm looking forward to. Uh, worst appearing car. Um, <laughs> I just, I don't think, I don't think people even realize this. I don't, I don't think they know this car that well. But hopefully, they're able to find it on the internet when it's time when when you deliver the, the message. Quote of the year is fun. I think uh, best appearing driver is one that I always always have a good time with. That's that's near the top of my list. Um, as we go through, we've got some interesting stuff. We get, we actually get to, to go back on ourselves a little bit. We've got our worst sportsman drag racing podcast prediction of 2020. And then, and then our best, we'll pat ourselves on the back a little bit too. We come up with some new, uh, some new formats this year. We've got racer who doesn't look like a racer. Like, I think uh, some of the, I don't know if you ever listened to the Dan Lebertard show, you know, and it's like, um, you know, so-and-so looks like. Um, the, uh, the the voice on the State Farm commercial, and you don't even know, like, you can't even picture the voice, right? So it, it, stuff like that, so it makes me think of that. So, yeah, we're going to have a little bit of fun today. Of course, we're going to end it with the, the two fields that, well, the one field that has gotten us in trouble in the past. We'll preface it a little bit better this year. We're going to end it with the, the capital G GOAT of the year. That's, like, the greatest of all time of 2020. And then the GOAT of the year, like, the, the lowercase GOAT. The, the scapegoat. So we're going to get, we're, we're going to, we're going to mind our P's and Q's a little bit better than we have in the past so that we try not to ruffle too many feathers. Cause it's not really what that award was meant for, but yeah, we're, we're going to have a good time. I, I guess I should shut up and we'll just get right into it. Sounds good. Yeah. I love it. One thing that we need to clear up before we do, and we should have talked about this off air, but if I remember correctly, we named this, these awards, the potties is that, that's right. That's correct. Okay. So the potties are coming up. 20 potty awards. <laughs> All right. We're going to tee it up. The 2020 potties brought to you in part by PJ North. Here we go, Big Jed, the 2020 Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast potties. Love it. Let's start with one of my personal favorites, the best appearing driver of 2020. Luke, uh, uh, I like this category a lot, and one of the, one of the nominees was our potty award winner for the decade um, in the, the last year when we did this. You know... I'm a little, I don't know, upset, ashamed, embarrassed that there are no females on the list. But, you know, that's treading water that I wasn't sure that we were capable of, of floating in. So I think we made a good choice by that. But we, I want the females to know it's not that you're not recognized. You're all beautiful. But 
this just went a different direction. So I felt, I felt like we needed to get that out there. Yeah, I, I, that's just, that's one that I'm not going to touch with a 60-foot pole. Yeah. Yeah, that I feel like are off limits here on the Sportsman Derek Racing Podcast. That's one of them. So we're going to stick with the men. And as I outlined when we did this for the Decade Awards, part of the, the, the qualifier, I guess, for this award in my book is you don't just have to be good looking. Like you have to put effort into being good looking at the racetrack. That, yeah. That's fire for me I, it's, I'm not looking for the best looking guy there I'm looking for somebody who at least on some level kind of wants to be recognized as the best looking guy there yeah I think that's very fair all right I'll let you lead it up all right first nominee was last year's potty winner and he is back it's TJ Pruitt now try not to just break down descriptions of each of these but TJ we all know the guys huge he's a big guy works out uh looks like about every eight to nine minutes of the day uh wears a shirt two sizes too small uh sleeves busting out beautiful man beautiful smile just all around good guy and his attitude is even makes him more beautiful and then the next up is a guy that races hard i mean he looks like he's quadruple entered everywhere we go i see him going out on the racetrack like crazy sweating time out time out you're you're on my list Oh, okay. Well, you said when lead it, I thought we were going from the top. We can, My apologies. What, do we need to edit this? I ah, will roll with it. So, no. Take it over. No, 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 no. I, I, okay. I just need to give mine? That, what, that, I'm fine with it. Let, let me just say a piece on TJ, and then I'll let you go. So, Please do. Okay. We'll, we'll get our stuff together, listeners. I promise. So TJ Pruitt, he was one of your nominees last year, and I was like, oh, yeah, TJ, good-looking fella. Well, due to where I live in the world, I'm not as close to TJ as it once was. TJ came riding up, very uh, kudos to TJ on this, riding up at Memphis at the Great American Guaranteed Million and had a package for me. I had something delivered to the track. TJ was picking up a package, said, oh, I know where Luke's parked. I'll take that to him. He rode up on his scooter and I just stared at him. And he's like, hey, man, here, I got this for you. I'm like, oh, thanks. How you been? Good, good. And you haven't been like working out or eating right or anything, have you? I mean, this dude is swole up. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody needs to call an ambulance. <laughs> yes. I mean, for I probably hadn't seen TJ in years. And he was in good shape as it was. Good looking fellow. It's gone to another level. Like, TJ Pruitt on up there. Go to your list, Jed. Yeah, TJ looks like he's been bit by something bad. Like, something with some mean venom in it. And, uh. <laughs> He, he he definitely looks like he should be going to the hospital. Anyway, let's get back down here to what's in red. Uh, for folks that don't know, Luke's list is in blue, mine's in red. I have Gage Birch. Uh, Gage is a young man that I think everyone's familiar with. Just a good-looking dude. I mean, if I can say that, the guy is young, he's talented, he's quiet, and just, you know, nice-looking young man, somebody that, I think we would all be proud for our, our daughter to team up with at some point. And then this guy. This guy looks good top to bottom. Just a, he, he wears his racing suit nice. He's always smiling. His hair is always cut perfectly. You know, if I can say this, nice body. I mean, the man is just fine. 
and he's even got a cool nickname. They call him Jojo. It's Joe Gary, Joe Gary Jr. Listen, um, if you in your 30s can pull off Jojo and be basically nationally respected, that's saying something. And you're right. Jojo is a good-looking man. <laughs> and then the last one on my list, I think I've kind of man-crushed him. You know, I talk about his talent on the racetrack. Um, I predict him to win pretty much any fling event every time we make a prediction. And just very well put together. He's no spring chicken. This guy's not a puppy. He's a full-grown dog. And he's been around a while. He's had quite a few birthdays, a few decades of birthdays. But keeps himself in tremendous physical shape again always smiling great demeanor and that's tommy cable tommy cable is a very good looking man i'm glad i got that out of my system i feel ashamed that i didn't have cable on my list that's a really good pick yeah uh, are you are you prepared to award the potty like are we going to come to a consensus here are you going to award yours and i'm going to award mine how are we going to do this yeah i think uh i think we can go individual potty I, I can go ahead and name mine uh, i feel like i'm ready uh, although tom although tommy cable is my man crush i mean if i'm just going straight fine it's jojo gary joe gary gets my potty for 2020 i mean 2020 excuse me if i'm just going straight fine oh man the shouts today are going to be phenomenal okay so <laughs> my nominees i already listed tj pruitt for good reason um you got a little bit into my second nominee it's will holloman will's just a guy like i i'm not i'm not up enough a i don't have hair so i don't know how this works so I don't know. I, I, I want to say, I don't think Will currently has frosted tips. At some point in his life, Will Holloman has had frosted tips. And he just looks like the guy that spends hmm, 15, 20 minutes race day morning making that hair junior high perfect. Because you, I mean, like, it's one thing to go look good, but you remember getting ready for school in junior high. Yeah. High perfect. Will Holloman's hair. So... The shouts to Jeff Lopez on the junior high perfect. That's that's one of our that we go way back there. Um, my third and and this is a little bit regional. Um, the wardens have been around the country a little bit, but James Warden out on the west coast, good looking man. Don't don't get me wrong, but particularly COVID nineteen pandemic James Warden. I don't I don't I'm under the impression I may be wrong. I'm under the impression you can't really get a haircut in the state of California. James Warden has not had a haircut in, I'm telling you, eight months. And looks like a 50-year-old version straight out of a boy band. James Warden, I, I, I'm, a, I'm obviously hair heavy here. I'm a best appearing driver between Holloman and Warden. Warden up there, right? So those are my nominees. But if I'm going to reward the potty, and this goes back to I'm going to pay homage to my, my decade potty award, best appearing driver of the 2010s. I went with Dave Triplett. And the reasoning for that was because I feel like Dave is our sports version of Jay Wright, like the Villanova head coach. He's just got this distinguished look that just seems to get better with age. Like the older Dave gets, like the, I just think the, the, the better looking he is, right? So I'm not going to give the 2020 award to Dave Triplett, but it's someone kind of – cut from the same cloth and that it impresses me in a lot the same way. He's got a very distinguished, not only look, but demeanor. And it seems like every year it just gets better. 
So my party for best appearing driver of 2020, Mr. Jeff Verdi. Oh, Verd. Stepping in there right off the bat, getting best appearing driver. He is a good looking man. And again, it, smiles are infectious, Luke. Yes. And he's always smiling. So Absolutely. Great choice. All right. Next on the list. Oh, this is a good one, too. Our favorite social account follow. The potty for 2020. Well, the nominees are. All right. My nominees are Danny Bastianelli. Uh, if you follow Danny, you know that he pretty much lays it out there. He tells you when things went well. He tells you when they suck. Uh, you see all of his adventures, even from getting on the plane to hanging out by the pool in Florida. And it's just the whole deal. Danny's just fun to follow. And knowing him personally, you just feel like you're being told every story as you read it. You're just hearing him say it. So Danny's a great follow. love it. I love to follow uh, Carol McCarty. Uh, part of the McCarty Auto Sales group. Um, she's uh, more crew chief than she does driving these days with uh, a lot of family members out there racing. And she just kind of keeps everything organized and keeps everybody uh, informed of how they're doing, how things have gone. Love to, to see Carol's updates. That's good stuff. I love Drag Champ. Drag Champ's a great follow. They are highlighting the people in our uh, sports drag racing arena and you know talking about the events and the people within them so I think they're really good for our sport I love watching them and then there's the couple out there that I really enjoyed it you know they're tearing people apart and it's it's all the things sometimes that we would all like to do but uh, WTR and double O show uh, they do it so uh, I, I love seeing them. I've been the victim of both of them, but all I do is laugh about it. Even when I'm the victim, it's, it's that kind of social media account, the way they present it, that even when you're the victim, you love it. It's like, it's like they made you famous or something. So really enjoy those two as well. There were a couple of our, um, of our awards here that I, I was struggling with, that I was kind of drawing a blank on. So I pitched it out to our community within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, and we had a lot of fun with it, Big Jed. So some of some of the uh, the things that I threw out throughout the day, I'll, I'll pay homage to some of our members um, because these, these aren't all uh, my own ideas. But yes, overwhelmingly within the group, the Double O Bleep Show was by far the uh, the favorite uh, the favored channel of communication. I would agree. I, I've gotten uh, I've gotten several good laughs out of and WTR the same way. I think we gave WTR the uh, the potty for the decade. Um, I'll just add a couple. This one's kind of kind of off the grid. But Funny Car Chris, I follow. I think his Facebook's just as good. But I follow Funny Car Chris on Twitter. And I love it. I'm, let's be real clear here, Jed. I am not condoning the actions of good. Okay. But I love people that own it, that have conviction in whatever it is that you believe. Like I can think it's the most wheels off thing in the world, but if you own it and you're like, this is me, I can respect that. So when Funny Car Chris posts like, yep, me and my buddy driving a cross country so stoned we can hardly see. Like, I like that. I think that's entertaining. I think that's fun. So uh, Funny Car Chris, this is just a personal thing. Like, I like the follow. I'm down with it. 
okay? The other one for me, and this isn't necessarily like a, a long-term follow as much as it is just one specific event, but the whole Champ McCrory versus Dan Fletcher thing at the Spring Fling Million was like must-see TV. And I don't really, I wasn't there. I was, I was, this actually blew up when I was en route to Bristol. So I'm catching, my wife's telling me about it on the phone, Jed. You got to check this out. And I don't really understand where it came from because at least the way I took it, like Champ just singled out Fletch and said like, what's this guy doing? When in reality, like half the field was doing the same thing. And it wasn't, it really should have been like, uh, uh, an event, uh, a uh, Pete and Kyle issue, and for some unbeknown, some reason unbeknownst to me, Champ made it a Fletcher issue, basically calling him out for making time trial prior to whatever. Like you can go back and read it; it's it's entertaining, but it got heated. Like it was, you had to be a part of it. And on Champ's end, like, a, I don't really know where the vitriol aimed at Fletcher specifically came from. And let's be honest, like if you're gonna single out somebody to pick on. Fletcher's not like the guy. Like that guy is kind of universally beloved, respected. Like I don't know if there's a backstory there or if it just like that's who was going down the track when Champ was paying attention, so that's who he picked on. Like I'm not there's a lot of racers that you could jump on and you would get support. Be like, "Yeah, that SOB, right?" Fletcher's not that guy. So, it was like Champ on an island. And it was just I'm not taking sides one way or the other, but it was entertaining to read through. So, <laughs> Luke, that's one of those deals where, like, one of your boys is at the track while it's going on, and your boy texts you and like, "Can you believe this sob yeah. is doing this?" But I can't say anything because I'm here with him, and I'm liable to be beside him in the staging lane. So, champs, like, I got this. <laughs> I got this. Hang tight. <laughs> that's one of those deals, I think. <laughs> Jed, I'm going to, as far as actually awarding the potty, though, for my favorite social account follow, I'm actually going to steal one from your list because I'm ashamed that I didn't come up with it. My favorite follow right now today on social media is Danny Bastianelli's Facebook. Not only for what you said, the just unfiltered nature that, of Danny, and if you've ever talked to Danny or if you listen to the podcast with Danny, what you see is what you get. But I love it just for the... 20 30 maybe 40 year old pictures I, yeah. I as kind of a racing historian like i get off on that there was there's a picture i think i actually was was uh, was lurking on uh, on danny's page today in preparation for the show and i think he just made it his cover photo but it's a winter circle picture from west palm beach i don't know the year but it's unmistakable it's john siegel standing standing beside danny and siegel can't be 10 years old and it's just awesome, you know, and <laughs> just see stuff like that from, from years past. So if that reason alone, uh, Ellie gets the potty from me. That makes him unanimous, Luke. He, he's definitely my favorite. Um, enjoy all the ones that I listed, but Danny, because he gives you some history, he's still out there doing it today, going hard, you know, even it, 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 a guy, for a guy that's had quite a few birthdays and uh, still doing it, got winter circle pictures from the late seventies and early eighties. And, and, you know, he's still out there trying to make winter circle pictures and just taking you for the ride all the way, start to finish. I love it. So Danny Bastianelli gets it for me too. 
Where are we going next? All right, so we've awarded our best social media follow, our best appearing driver. We only got 14 to go. I mean, a nice short show. <laughs> Where are we going next? Next is best win, Luke. Uh, that the what we call the best win of 2020. And man, I you know I've I've found myself focusing on obviously the highest scale races, the the most well known events out there uh, with the highest pay and kind of ashamed, ashamed of myself for that because I know there were tons of great wins outside of those, but they were all full of just amazing stories. I mean, they really were. So I, my list consisted of Scotty at the Spring Fling Million. You know, Scotty Richardson, we know what he's won. He's, he's one of the best, if not the best, sportsman drag racer of all time. And I watched Scotty get emotional about what he accomplished there. It was such a bucket list thing for him. It was, you know, a guy that I've personally watched win so much. And, and at a, one point in my life, I, I didn't want him to win. I wanted to be doing what he was doing and like sick of seeing this guy win. And it's come full circle for me and I'm sure many others to like, yeah, that's cool. I mean, watching Scotty win something like that was really cool and then get emotional was cool. So I listed that one, uh, rabbit, Kevin Brannon winning the OG million, everything he had to battle through again, a bucket list thing that he had not accomplished. And really the only thing missing from his list of accomplishments, um, pretty amazing win. Cisco at the SFG 1.1, uh, was an awesome win. But when we heard the story right here on the podcast, it was holy cow, unbelievable win, incredible odds against what he did uh something like that couldn't be done on that stage except for when jeff sarah did it at the guaranteed million with all the things going against him we've discussed that as well at length and you know he battled through so many challenges and in a car that was dealing him fits with you know a combination that they had not run before so a pretty incredible win for him. And then, of course, I got to list my man, Caleb Ellison, in a car that he had sat in uh, basically one other time. Uh, not sure he even got to race it. Uh, it might have been the first time he got to race that car. Went in $100,000 in the foot brake race at uh, the BTE Labor Day 100K. Huge win for him. Does It pales in comparison to the money that these other guys race for and the stage they raced on. But it was pretty incredible for Caleb to get that win. So uh, I definitely wanted to give him a mention and put him on my list. Oh, Jed, I love your list here for so many reasons. And I'll try not to spend too much time on this because I think I bring up most of these at other points in, in our awards. I've got, I've got most of these names on the list. Scotty's win at Bristol, for me, probably doesn't make the the top of tier of the most impressive or the best win that I saw in 2020. But I'll agree with you that it was my favorite and arguably best interview, post-win interview, winner circle celebration of 2020. Because just as you alluded to, I feel like we and and most everyone of our generation whether willingly consciously or, or, or unconsciously there was a time probably a pretty large period of time where we did not want to see scotty richardson win 
if for no other reason than simply because he won too damn much. And to to actually see the vulnerability in him come out after that race to where for whatever reason over the course of the last, whether it's six months or three years, he came into this race and felt almost as if he was an underdog. Like he had a chip on his shoulder, like he had something to prove. And then to kind of live through that vicariously with him as he told the story. And you could just see the emotion pour out of him. Sure. Like made all of us, I, it made me to some extent during the race, but certainly post-race, like root for and cheer for Scotty's win. And that's probably something that should have happened long ago. It's one of those you don't, you don't realize what you're watching and the greatness that you're watching in the moment. Um, that, that was, that was a really awesome moment that obviously you were on the front lines of and, and a part of, um, Cisco's win, Cisco's weekend at Martin is the stuff of ages. If we're going to, going to quantify this as far as maybe the most impressive performance, I think Jeff Sarah's win at, at, at Memphis is impressive for so many reasons. And we'll get, we'll dig deeper on that here. Uh, I think it's next week's episode where we'll have Jeff on. So that'll be fun. Um, I went a little bit different direction with my nominees here for the potty. Best win of 2020. Manny Sosa's recent win at the, the World Series of, of Drag Racing stood out to me just because, at least to the top of mind, it was the biggest event combined event won by a bottom ball racer where a bottom ball racer went through the field of, of top ball racers in 2020 obviously you just mentioned caleb ellison his winner's purse was double of manny's but to get through to win the no box side and then to wade your way through whatever it was another four or five rounds of competition against the box cars um I, that just has a special meaning to me and i know he's not the first to do it i know he's not the first to do it on that stage for that type of money but that always stands out as ultra impressive to me, the bottom bulber that can maintain their composure, trust their spot, if you will, and continue to perform at that level against cars that most people would look at and say have an obvious advantage, right? So that one stands out to me. But for me, the, the best win of the year, and I, I'm probably cheating a little bit here because it's actually two wins. It's the combine, uh, the, the Emmons siblings, each earning U.S. Nationals, big go wallies. They swept stock and super stock at the big go. Like, you just, that stuff that they probably sat around and dreamed about some 30-plus years ago, sitting in their bedroom as kids, and to actually have that come to fruition on the biggest stage, at least in NHRA racing, pretty memorable day. So my potty for the best win of 2020 would go to the Emmons. And I'm sorry, I get them confused. I want to say that it was Jerry and Gary. But if I messed up, sorry, Terry. <laughs> and Barry and Harry. We, ben, we apologize to all of you. <laughs> I think podcast before. I'm at the fence at Joliet one year, standing beside Gary Stinnett. And one of the Emmons brothers comes to the fence. And there was a time where I could tell them apart. Like I, I, I raced with the Emmons a lot when I was growing up. That time's... 15 plus years ago, right? They all look the same to me, the, 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 the three triplets. But they walk up and Gary Stinnett says, hey, Larry, how you doing? And I look and I'm like, it's Gary, Jerry, it's Terry. It's not Larry. And, he, and I guess I've just got this dumb look on my face and Gary Stinnett looks at me and goes, I just call him all Larry. That way I'm wrong. I'm just wrong every time. 
good stuff. Terry and Terry, producer Mark to the rescue. Terry Emmons, Terry Emmons, the indie double. Yeah, that's a good choice. That was obviously a very special moment for a, a family that's done it all except for that. And then to go do that, that was pretty incredible. So great choice on your part. I've got to go with my boy rabbit, Kevin Brannon, uh, winning the OG million. Um, again, just all the things that were trying to keep that from happening. Uh, and he battled through it and kept his mental state in a point where he could stay competitive and do what he did and then you know the whole aftermath with the, the transparent interview here on the podcast and all those things just it was pretty special for me and uh I, obviously being a part of it gave it a little extra feel to me so i'm gonna go with kevin brannon's og million win for my potty that's a good one we had a lot of good options there a lot of yeah. good 2020 um all right so kind of piggybacking on that to some extent the best story in sportsman drag racing in 2020 do you want to do you want to lead off sure all right sure only got a couple um number one is andrew adkins uh, people might or might not remember way back in july us discussing the kid that drove the family mopar from ohio to bristol 300 or so mile trip um cargo 790s at bristol so it's not like it's some family Mopar with air conditioning and power windows. This is the family Mopar that uh, has been around a while. A uh, little primered duster demon. I think it was a duster. Um, him and his dad come down. They still spray the radiator with the bug sprayer with water in it to cool it down between rounds. Change tires when they get there. They put the scooter. Uh, they remove the back seat in the car, Luke, and put the scooter in the back seat area to make sure they can haul it to the racetrack, fill the trunk, and drive it 70, 75 miles per hour down the interstate from uh, home to Bristol. Pretty incredible. Then he comes out and wins on the largest foot brake field that's ever been held, uh, that's ever assembled, and that was 550 entries on Saturday, and he wins it in the family Mopar 10K race. Wasn't the biggest purse ever but pretty incredible story to me and then of course our boy big nasty um i guess uh what i can tell obviously i stepped away from the mic or am stepping away for 2021 my plan for late 2020 i mean 2019 excuse me was to make this announcement and step away and then we were told about big nasty uh, kyle seipel and the, the the challenge or the, the news that he had just been delivered and the challenges he was going to face over the next six to 12 months. And it seemed pretty dim and, and, you know, doom and gloom type deal. And basically Luke was told, you know, wasn't sure he was going to see 2021. And, you know, immediately I changed my mind because I'm thinking if, if, if this is, you know, if that's true and, and Kyle doesn't get through this, you know, I want to definitely be there for his final year and, you know, not real sure where his mental state's going to be. But as we know, that turned out to be really good. His mental state, obviously a big part of it. Um, a guy that had an amazing spirit and enthusiasm and uh, just a desire to conquer uh, this terrible disease that, that he's got. And he, uh, 
has done extremely well, uh, participated in all the flings, ran Sonoma uh, Raceway for a full season, did it extremely well on both ends, and, you know, has a positive outlook and some good news going forward. Still got a lot of challenges on his hands, but seems to be doing extremely well. And I just, you know, I hate to even talk about these type things, but I just thought it was an awesome story what he has dealt with in 2020 and, and the way he stayed so positive and done so much in our sport while he was battling. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's definitely one of the top stories from the year, Jed. And it's one of those things where you know, you've heard it said before that optimism play, can play a, a key role in fighting something like Kyle's fighting. And I'm not here to say that optimism is going to, to solve all the problems, right? Now, optimism is not, a, it's not a medical thing. But I, I have heard it said, and I would agree, that without optimism, you don't stand a chance. And Kyle is overflowing with optimism throughout. And not just optimism, but we've talked before how it's unfair for someone like Kyle Seipel as a racer to be as talented as he is and have as much fun as he does and has over the years in and around racing. And that fun seemingly, you know, since his diagnosis hasn't subsided a bit. And that's the coolest part. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, and I hope that uh, in 2021, 2022, 2023, the big nasty story is still among our favorite stories of the year because he's going to, it's, it, it hasn't been told and he's going to keep fighting. And uh, so I love it. So um, I had a couple, I, I honestly, Jed, when I look back now, I was leaning towards Andrew Adkins for the potty, like, cause that's just a really good story. And then when you reminded me that they took the back seat out to make room for the scooter, it's a shoe in. Andrew Adkins gets the potty, but I'm going to go ahead and just go through the exercise and share my other nominees. Please do. Best story of the year. We've, we've covered this in pretty good depth here over the course of the last month, but Bradley Johnson's run at the NHRA Top Drag Extra World Championship. Ultimately, it came up two thousandths of a second short, but it is a run for the ages, and it would be a story that would absolutely, we would be telling 30, 40 years from now, had he come up two thousandths of a second further, had he gone on and finished it, but it's still a hell of a story. Bradley Johnson came into the, the Vegas sequence of events, the three events at Vegas with a mathematical shot to win the top drag extra world championship. All he had to do was win those three races, 17 consecutive rounds of competition and coming in, it was a complete afterthought. It was an afterthought for Bradley Johnson. And then he won the divisional the first week and went, uh, won the first three rounds of the sports nationals, which then had to be postponed. Then before the sports nationals could finish, he won the national event. And suddenly, of those 17 consecutive round wins that Bradley Johnson needed to amass in order to be the top drags to world champion, he'd clicked off 14 of them. He won 15. He won 16. He advanced to the final round of the Jake Sports Nationals uh, three days before the last day of the season. Win that round, you're the world champion. Opposite lane, Paul Nero. Former NHRA top drags for world champion, not a great draw. Bradley, as we've said before, makes a textbook run, comes up two thousandths of a second short. 
I'm just, I mean, it would have been the Cinderella story if that wind light comes on, but that is one hell of a run with literally everything on the line. Like, you're not going to find a more pressure-packed situation. I just think that story, that's one that I'm going to tell for a long time. It's good stuff. Um, I'll take broadly, looking back on 2020, door car domination, because up until, specifically at, at the highest levels of big dollar bracket racing, up until Kevin Brandon's win at the OG Million, the first three quote-unquote million-dollar races were won by door cars. Actually won by Chevy 2s. Actually won by Chevy 2s all dialed within, what, two or three tenths of one another? Like that 590 to 620 range? Yep. Um, I think that's a good story for a sport, like I've talked about before. So I think door car domination ranks up there. And then specifically, the story from Cisco's Million, which he shared here, and then I would put it on the same plane. Like I have a hard time just from the story and we'll get, like I said, we'll get more of Jeff's story, Jeff Sarah's story next week. They run parallel to me in that both Steve Cisco and Jeff Sarah were in excellent race cars that are typically among the top, what, five, 10% of the best cars on the premises. But in the moment that each of them won, what at the time that each of them won was the largest winner's purse in history, right? The largest take-home pay ever. When Cisco won it, it was by far the largest, and then Sarah's take-home pay trumped it by a couple thousand dollars because that's the way that they orchestrated the split was to make the Great American Million the largest take-home pay. When each of them won that, they won it in cars that were not only not at their best, you could argue were not competitive. Like, if you gave... If you gave any driver their pick of 10 cars and you got to look at the logbooks, I think that the cars that each of them won in would have been the last pick. They were awful. Like Cisco, Cisco told a story. He put 60 pounds in for like round six and just dialed up 800s. Because, and, and what was the quote from him? Like, what did it matter at that point? Like, I didn't know what I could go anyway. Maybe make it better, right? And Sarah's, I mean, we've been through this situation. They changed motors prior to the million, and the only torque converter they had was for the much considerably bigger motor. The only carburetor they had was for the considerably bigger motor. Like, they basically put it together, and they're like, this thing's not going to work where they flip. And it didn't. It was awful. Yeah, good call. And then yet they both hold the biggest check in the history of sports drag racing at the end of the day like both of those stories independently are amazing and then i guess when you kind of lump them together as the story of 2020 um that's right up there and then i was digging through like our podcast rundown of 2020 and the last thing i want to touch on was the hot story for like three or four weeks and we thought that it would be this overwhelming this is all we're going to talk about as we come into this stretch of you know three million dollar races in four weeks like this is going to be the overwhelming narrative and it just completely i don't want to say went away but got swept under the rug and it was the accusations of cheating perhaps completely unsubstantiated like i don't i don't know that this has gone away for good but i really and, and most of us thought that this would really rear its ugly head and blow up at some point in this month of, you know, unprecedented money being handed out. And not only like were we all on our P's and Q's, it seemed like we forgot that those accusations even existed. So it was the big story that just suddenly went away.
Yeah, really good point. Uh, that uh, that crossed my mind as as part of this segment, but um, you know, I thought ah, it wasn't quite as big a story as it seemed like it was going to be. So we were thinking along the same lines there. It just it did just kind of die out as the stakes got higher, no less. Yeah, it's kind of strange looking back, and I don't know what the future of that brings. But yeah, it was like is all we could talk about, and then all of a sudden. It was never brought up again. So, but yeah, the potty, Andrew Atkins, I can't beat that. Yeah. So Andrew, get your potty. Uh, I'm, you know, just for the sake of uh, keeping it separated a little bit and both of us having one, I'm going big nasty. Big nasty deserves uh, some recognition for, for the incredible spirit and enthusiasm that, that he's brought to the table for a battle that, you know, I'm not sure I'm man enough to, to fight. So, Good for you, Big Nasty. Keep doing it, and thank you for the great things you've done in our sport and continue to do while you, you battle this. It's, uh, it's inspirational, bud. So Big Nasty gets the potty from Big Jed. Well, move on into another one of our personal favorites. I drew a bit of a book on this this year. i see where you go. Worst appearing car of 2020. Yeah, it's a, it's a category. You definitely, it, it's again, I talked earlier about uh, not naming females in the list of best appearing drivers. So this is a category where it's worst appearing car. Luke. I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to start picking out a whole lot of cars here that, that number one, you could be paired against. Number two, could be friends of yours. Uh, this one probably doesn't fit either of those categories or, or the, the one that's going to get this potty. Um, but you come up with it, and I'm not trying to throw you under the bus here, but I think you should discuss it. <laughs> well, and let's, let's – I want to emphasize the power, the impact that we have here with the potties, Jed, because if I'm not mistaken, we awarded the potty of the decade, worst appearing car, to Johnny Ezel and the Pooh Brown Dragster. I believe you are correct. And it was it got Johnny's attention so much that the Pooh Brown Dragster is no more. He repainted it over the winter. I don't know that that had anything to do with our podcast, but I'm going to take credit for it. Johnny was so embarrassed to have the worst appearing car of the decade that he went back to the drawing board. <laughs> uh, so you're saying that Vega John is probably got some work in his future. Possible. That was Vega John, wasn't it? I have was no. it Vega Ron. It was Vega somebody on the side of that thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, this is one I, I put out to the to the elite community. The answer for me was obvious, and we'll get into it. The one nominee that I wanted to bring up is a racer that I'm vaguely familiar with, only because he competes on the other side of the world for me. Division six racer Michael Pliska got. I mean, several votes from the elite community. And to the point I'm like, okay, I need pictures. Like, what are we working with here? So Pliska's got a Vega that this is coming from the guy. Like, if anybody knows Rough Vegas, I know Rough Vegas. Pliska's Vega is rough, okay? It's not it's, – it's been a race car for a long time. It's been road hard. It's been put up weight. You can see that from the pictures. I'm not ready to say – that it was rougher than my beloved Vega was five years ago. I don't know that it's that close, but mm. I would say this, Pliska's Vega might well be dirtier 
than my Vega was five years ago. And that's saying a lot. And then <laughs> when you read through some of the, the Pliska is actually another one. Like he should have been nominated for social media follow because I got linked to several of his posts from 2020 that a they're novellas, like they're long, but they are entertaining as hell because here's a guy that obviously either doesn't have, or simply doesn't want to spend the money on upgrading equipment. So he's riding down the road with stuff that was out of date 20 years ago. And he's obviously really, uh, he's got a lot of ingenuity that just goes to like fixing the stuff that's fallen off. Like he's got a lot of talent. You, you look into what he's doing and the work that he's doing. I'm like, man, you could build something really nice, but instead he's just fixing junk. But it is one thing after another. So it's not just the, the Vega that hadn't been washed in a decade. It's like the whole rig from the, 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 the jack falling off the trailer and getting pancaked up like a, like a, like a taco is what he'd said. And then had trying to weld it all back on and the project that that became because the tongue of the trailer had been broken and welded so many times that he kind of had to reinvent the wheel to the, the radiator falling out of the pickup truck. Like, I mean, and then he gets to the racetrack, like one of the posts that I'm reading with, he's changed the, the, or I'm sorry, the, he had changed the thermostat or something that week. So he had the, the radiator kind of rigged up in there and it, and he's, and he's on the, he's in the Northwest. So like the local tracks, six freaking hours away, right through the mountains. So it's overheat and all this kind of stuff. And then he's like, so I get there, I find out I, I, I can order a radiator. So I, I get that shipped in, but of course, you know, meanwhile, I'm racing the Vega, but you know, I'm going to run in the truck and sportsman too. Like the, the truck's blowed up, right? I mean, he's got to get it homesick. He's running it. The hell with it. Like, it's just awesome. Like I, I read through the whole thing and I'm like, this guy right here, hero status. So it's more of like a worst, worst appearing operation maybe than even worst appearing car. But Pliska for all those reasons, probably should get the award, but I'm telling you the award couldn't go anywhere else, Jed. It was... As we transition here, this was only a week or two after we had so much fun on the podcast with our favorite post-race sayings, you know, on the, on the, on the back of cars, like uh, game over, you know, please try again, call 1-800-BUYBACK, you know, that kind of thing. And a mutual friend, we're at Spring Fling Million at Bristol. I, I think he sent the picture before he pointed it out, sends me a picture of the back of a Nova. Your model similar to Big Red. Right? Like, yeah. Late, early 70s Nova. Primer black. Not not the the cleanest car in the pits, but not the roughest. Like, would not normally get worst appearing car honors, I don't think. Other than the signage on it looks like it's been written in whiteout. Because it had. By hand. Right. <laughs> And what got our attention most was on the back deck lid were two words separated by the, 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 the key. On one side was Nova. Other side was Gina. You got to visualize that for a second and really take it in. But that got our attention. Then you get to looking at the car. It's just an attention getter. Maybe not for all the right reasons. And... I, we had to we had to shed light him somewhere. Worst appearing car felt like the right spot. Yeah, and it, it the driver, you know, they had written on the window, the driver's side window, and I think it was Vega John. 
So Vega John was driving a Nova that had Nova Gina, except I want everyone now, right now, to make the eye long in Gina. Just spell that out in your head. Yeah. The people that got it 30 seconds ago are like, dude, got it. Yeah. So that was the attention getter. And he actually had a really cool backstory. Like I heard Peter announcing it at one point, right? I don't remember the details. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it was a good story. But the car itself, yeah. An attention getter for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, it was it was excellent stuff. And definitely a unanimous worst appearing car award. It's not often that we're at a loss for words yet. I feel like we're there. <laughs> yeah. uh, so let's move on, Luke. <laughs> Quote of the year is the next category. Now, you know, I racked my brain trying to think, oh, my God, because you hear a thousand quotes of the year during the racing season. And, I, you know, I'm struggling here. I was really struggling coming up with something. And then I started thinking, well, I got to think back to people that typically just have them over and over and over. And I, I couldn't help but think of Anthony Bertozzi. Um, you know, I've got several ringing in my head right now just because he's just got them. I mean, it's just over and over. Anthony just, he's a, he's a, he's a walking quote of the year anywhere he, he goes. But I was interviewing him at the top end. And this, uh, I don't think he said this one on camera. Uh, I think this was prior to camera because I think I told him, hey, well, don't say it like that. But <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say it. been struggling with this, by the way, should I say what he said, but I don't think it's too bad. So I was like, Bud, you you know, whatever, double O. Or I said, what do you think he was? He said, oh, I don't know. Uh, he said, what was it? I said, no, that ain't how this works. Now, I said, you got to, I'm going to have to ask you what you think he was. And then, and you, you say, this is, he said, man, I don't ever know what I am. I just let that bitch go and hope for the best. Or no, he said, I just let go of that bitch and hope for the best. <laughs> and I said, don't say that. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't say that. And he said, that's how it is, dog. He said, when you get my age, that's just how it is. So Once the camera came on, it was something to the effect of, you know, like, what were you set up? I was trying to be negative eight. I figured I'd miss it. <laughs> it was something like that. <laughs> you know, and what makes the quote so good is you're talking about a guy that this year, he's, at the, he's in the, you know, quarterfinals of the spring playing million when he says it guy that doesn't bracket race what maybe twice a year and he has just collected his i don't know 20 20th 21st whatever world championship between ihra and nhra when he won the top dragster world championship this year so this is a guy that claims he just lets go of that bitch and hopes for the best but he's won everything you could possibly win in the sport just kind of antoine's attitude so that to me was the one that was most memorable. Absolutely. If you could, uh, if you could define laid back at the races, look that up in the dictionary. I think there's a picture, Anthony. It brings to mind just yeah. that word. Probably brings to mind a story from years ago. Like I was 
this is probably pushing 20 years ago. I, I was a young pup and we we're at Bradenton for one of the winter series races. And Anthony won the round late in the race, like say um, six cars left or something like that coming back for the semis. And at Bradenton, like all of the pits, basically, at least on one side of the track are, are off the return road. And it's really dark at night. And uh, I never see Anthony come by. And there's a group of us standing there. Finally, somebody rides down there to get him. They tow him back. And I'm standing over the group. And, and as they're towing back, Troy Williams Jr. says, Antoine, what happened? And Anthony, just cool as a cucumber, riding back, like the only thing on his mind is, man, I wonder what I should cook for dinner on the grill, right? Anthony just looks at him, puts his hand in the air, and says, that bitch blew up. <laughs> you know? Exactly what happened. <laughs> that bitch blew up. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, no surprise that, uh, that Antoine gets on quote of the year. Uh, same day, I reached out to the, to the elite community here and had a couple. I've got one that I'm going to go with. And, and it actually, I think it comes from the same guy that, that I nominated or might have picked for our quote of the decade, which is no surprise. But we'll get back to that. Uh, kind of like you said, it, it's more about people than it is about specific quotes. And there's some people that are just good quotes. Um, all right, this one cracked me up. This was an elite member that said, while standing in the staging lanes watching the replay of Joe Fisher's unfortunate accident at the Great American Million, I'm standing in a group with Corey Galetti. And Corey says, oh, wow, he almost hit that guy in the other lane. Well, in the same group was Slate Cummings. Who turns to Corey and says, well, you almost hit me. I'm just saying. <laughs> and Corey looks back at him and says, oh, yeah, I guess I did. That's in reference to the 2018 million, if you're lost there. That was funny. Um, one that I think you were a part of, Jed Spencer Massey, following his $30,000 win at Bristol. The quote was something to the effect of, yeah, man, top, top fuel's cool, but, man, this is better. That was good. Good quote by Spencer. <laughs> uh, the potty from me goes back to our buddy Bones, Todd Ewing, who, like I said, it was at least a nominee for last year's potty. Because if you've ever been around Bones, like he's just a good quote. So I ride up to Bones' trailer at the Big Go, Jed, the U.S. Nationals. I've been going to Indy for probably six, seven years. It's not, I've never seen Bones there. Not the first place I would have expected to see him, right? Doesn't right. make a whole lot of NHRA races. Indy doesn't seem like his cup of tea, right? And I said, so similar to what you would. What are you doing here? Man, about a month ago, sitting on the couch watching TV, and it was one of them food channels. And they were talking about, you know, what's the best dish you've ever had? And they got to talking about the cock, shrimp cocktail at St. Elmo's in Indy. And I thought, ooh, I've been to St. Elmo's in Indy. I like that shrimp cocktail. And he said, I just took it right there. I got my laptop. I entered Indy. I said, so you entered Indy to come eat at St. Elmo's. I entered Indy just so I could eat at St. Elmo's. We've been here for two nights. I ate there twice. I go back tonight. It's good. That's probably true. He probably was not making that up. He probably did enter so he could go to St. Elmo's. Wouldn't put it past him a bit. That was my favorite from the year. Bones loves a good meal. That's your potty? Bones gets your potty. Bones gets my potty. Although, Anthony's hard to argue with. I assume that's yours. Yeah, I'm going to go with Bertozzi for my potty. That uh, I just 
I loved it. Uh, I struggle with what to name this next one. I originally came up with the Back to the Future Award, but then I thought, no, no, we tie it in with current events. This is the Has Been Award. And don't take this the wrong way. This is, I felt like 2020 was a year for this. Maybe every year is a year for this. I feel like we get so focused on the young guns and the, the passing of the torch. And there are so many super talented young racers throughout sportsman drag racing. But we have that, the Scotty Richardson effect that we talked about earlier, where maybe some of the people that we had a hard time rooting for in years past, like they've just been at it long enough now and we can appreciate that. Maybe it's because we're older guys. We're getting to the has-been status ourselves, Jed, where we that resonates with us. But there's just something about, there is a piece in seeing some of the same names that we saw dominate or grace the winter circle in, I don't know, 1990, maybe 1980 in some mm -hmm. cases, continuing to do it at a high level. So that's kind of the spirit of this, the, the has-been award, the elite performer of the, I don't know, maybe the older generation in 2020. I've got a bunch here, like just kind of rattled off the, the bigger races. We just talked about Scotty, Tom Dauber, obviously, um, his success, we, we, we noted that specifically at the million. Tom's pretty, I don't want to say deep into his 60s. He's definitely in his 60s, right? Yeah, definitely. He's retired, so, you know, he's probably above 62 anyway. And still performing at, at a high level. Much younger, I guess, but feels like they've been at this just as long. The Williams brothers. I mean, it's, it's bad to say they were the young guns when we started this thing. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, but it's, they both had stellar seasons and are now kind of, they've made that transition to the, the old guard, the Emmons brothers, the same way. Like I, when I met the Emmons brothers, they were in their twenties. They've got to be pushing 50, right? Um, and yeah. Vertot, like we just talked about, just continues to get it done. Never seems to, uh, to, to crest that hill and start sliding down the other side. Like he is performing at the level that he was performing at when he was winning IHRA championships in the early nineties and it's 2020. Um, but the one for me, if I had to select one that gets the potty, it's Danny Nelson. Danny Nelson uh, obviously didn't quite back up his world championship run of 2019, but he came within one round of it. When we talked about Bradley Johnson, if Danny Nelson wins the final round at Dallas, he's back to back NHRA top dragster world champion. Danny's guy has been doing this at a high level for a long time. And even among the list that we just named off, I'm not sure that Danny is the, the elder statement, statesman. I'm not sure that he's the oldest on that list. But I think Danny would tell you, like, given his history, he hasn't, like, been easy on that body, right? Danny's starting to show his age. <laughs> and for Danny to continue to compete at the level he does, like literally, I, I think it's safe to say the most respected, the most feared, if you would driver in top dragster. And keep in mind, like as I would assume as we get older, as our perhaps uh, vision and or reflexes begin to wane, like hopping into a 610 at 220 mile an hour car, probably doesn't seem like the logical step and Danny just continues to make it look easy. Yeah, definitely a very impressive guy there and what he's accomplished for quite some time, but especially the last couple of years, Luke, obviously 
uh, had two more birthdays in those last 24 months and seemingly is getting better with age. So Danny's a, a good recipient for your potty. That's a, that was a great choice. Um, I, I like your list. I didn't have many on my list. I actually only have one written down. Cisco is a guy that I think fits in this. Most people know Cisco has been a winner for quite some time, but I was racing with Cisco in the mid to late nineties. You know, this guy would come to Alabama and come down South and race the better bracket races that paid, you know, five or 10,000 because back then that was a big deal. And uh, he would come down and race those and got to know him a little bit. So uh, those people that think uh, Cisco might've just, you know, might not be a guy that, has done this on a high level for quite some time or mistaken. He's done it for quite a while, well over 20 years, probably closer to 30. Uh, Cause I think he and I are about the same age. So Cisco fit that. And one I didn't put on my list Luke that I thought about uh, while you were talking, honestly, is uh, buddy Farrell. Uh, the people in this part of the country, nobody, but he doesn't travel a ton anymore, but he goes to the better races and a guy that's done it for a long time, done it well for a long time, and done it in the same car well for a long time. Uh, so Buddy Buddy Farrell would be a guy that's that's worthy of being put on this list as well. But I like your choice. I think Danny Nelson's a great choice for potty. So I will second that and make him unanimous. Oh, we have a unanimous potty. All right. Congrats, Danny Nelson. Yes. All right. A bit of fun here just going back these aren't these aren't uh nationwide or, or racing wide these these are basically just back on us jed <laughs> as we look back on yeah. 20 within the sportsman drag racing podcast as we've said before we don't classify ourselves as as reporters we are opinionists and sometimes we have opinions that when we look back like oh yeah oftentimes we have opinions when we look back and go Kind of cringeworthy, right? So with that, worst prediction and best prediction from us throughout the 2020 season. Should I start here, Luke? Sure. Because I tried to spin this as we know I am the spin master. Uh, we know I'm a homer, and we know that I'm going to do everything I can to make myself look better than what I actually am. And I... I attempted very hard to spin this after the results were in, but um, I think everybody saw right through it. I predicted that a female would win the Great American Guaranteed Million. And that was part of our bold predictions, our five bold predictions. And, you know, I said that was going to happen. Well, and I knew the odds weren't very good, but basically females represented 1.1% of the field. So I made a prediction that had 98.9% .9 chance to fail. And by George, it failed. Not that females aren't capable, but there, you know, it'd be like predicting that a somebody with a birthday in June and currently 21 and a half years old would win the million. I mean, it's just that the opportunities were almost non-existent. It would be almost like saying that someone in a 
six second door car that won't run within a tenth of itself will win the mill. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, well, I wish I had predicted that. But although Jeff Sarah won and I tried to spin it and said I had a premonition that <laughs> I saw Sarah on the check and I thought it was a female, uh I spun that and that was a damn good spin. I mean it really was. You gotta give me credit for that. If we had if we had a best spin of the of twenty twenty I would win that. I would win the potty for that because that was a damn good spin. To your credit, we saddled ourselves with a bold prediction. That was a yeah. bold prediction. Yeah, that was Might work out. That was another word fits it besides bold, but that was my worst prediction. How about your best? Uh, I think this was ours, but I think you asked me specifically um, – you know, did I, how did I think this was going to go? This amazing stretch of races we were about to go into when the millions began. Outside of the 1.1, it had already been successful when we discussed this, the SFG 1.1. But the other three that were going to be going in the next, you know, four to five weeks. And I said, I thought they, you know, they would all be successful. And I even felt like, and you did as well, felt like the, the final million that, where everybody had talked about the OG million, the changes they made it and made it three fifty granders for nine ninety nine instead of the six fifty that they had normally been spending. Everybody's talking about how it was going to kill it. Well, it only had five hundred and nine entries in the outside races outside of the million and it was one of their larger millions itself on million dollar race day. So uh, I, I thought that was probably our best prediction. I, I, the, I like the mutual pat on the back there because I do feel like we were in the minority there and, and we we nailed it. Yeah. All right. So worst prediction for me was an obvious one. I famously said in, I think, late April that NHRA would not have another quote-unquote traditional NHRA national event in 2020. I was almost right. I mean, they only had like nine. Almost got that one. It looked good for a while, right? And then, uh, yeah. So missed the boat a little bit on that one. My best prediction, I'm telling this, I don't, I didn't, this never dawned on me because I wasn't necessarily making a, a prediction at the time, but it's kind of scary. We had a listener bring this up and, and I didn't realize it until I actually read this listener's message to the podcast. Thanks producer Mark for sharing and went back and listened to the show and like, Whoa, it's kind of scary. I, I, I kind of, prognosticated the future here number one i waxed poetic we waxed poetic jed i think the week prior to jeff sarah's performance in memphis like how impressive what jeff was doing was and to my point like just how fun it was to watch because it was just like throw caution to the wind like yeah mfers like i'm that's that's what i'm dialing and here look at this my against that red light yeah, i'm seven under look at that that's what i'm doing all day and it was like must see tv at the finish time well you could make an argument as to whether or not that's the best way to go about eighth mile bracket racing in this day and age. You can't argue if it's the most entertaining. It is by far the most entertaining. And then here we are a week later where that skill set becomes not just advantageous, but necessary. Like that's what he had to do to win in the car that we talked about before that was just not up to its typical performance expectations. <laughs> It all came together. So yeah, let's point that out. And then also in similar time frame, it was actually following the Memphis event. We were talking about 
a controversial run from Memphis. And I was trying to explain how event directors, obviously we're talking specifically about Barry and Galen, but this is how it applies to everyone, how we all have an inherent bias and not in the way that you would think. Like we would like to think from the outside that we, as a, as a decision maker, as an event promoter or a, or, a, or a race director, that we bias toward our friends. I don't think it's necessarily that at all, but I think it's inevitable that we bias against like two racers come to us with a similar, of the opposing views of what happened on one particular run or one particular time slip. We're almost inevitably going to side with the racer that we think either tells the better story or that we feel like is the more experienced quote unquote better racer. And the example that I used was Gary Williams. Like Joe Blood and says, hey man, so this is messed up. And you're like, ah, you take that with a grain of salt. Gary Williams comes to you and says, hey, this is messed up. You're gonna take a little deeper look into it. Well, I didn't know when I said that, that a week later, Gary Williams would be in the middle of the greatest controversy in drag racing at the OG Million. And yet that's exactly what happened. So I don't know if that was necessarily a prediction, but it was kind of crazy to look back and go, oh, like that's kind of exactly what I said. I didn't think that was coming, but kind of, kind of creepy. It was creepy. It, you know, the, the example that you gave, obviously not knowing what was on the horizon uh, and what would get everyone's attention uh, at the OG Million on Million Dollar Friday, but um, pretty incredible. And, you know, we didn't even think about it as it was happening, as you mentioned, had a listener bring up that you know you you basically talked about that exact scenario and and how differently it would be handled if it was a guy with uh you know with the credentials of a gary williams and then then it happens that was that was pretty incredible um like that wasn't so. the, the notes pre-show like I, I think if i remember correctly i was going through my mind in the moment and i just started with like the hierarchy of racers and i'm like okay, we can't talk about Scotty because he just won and like we just got done talking about him. And you can't talk about Peter because that doesn't apply because now he's viewed more as a promoter than a racer. So that gets weird. Gary, Gary Williams. And there it was. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> so although that wasn't necessarily uh, an exact, uh, the exact definition of a prediction, it was so, I don't even know what word fits here, intuitive or whatever fits. I, I'm giving that my potty. That was that was pretty good stuff. All right, yeah, I, I'm good there. And I think uh, I think my uh, my my incorrect prediction was a way bigger swing and miss than yours. So I'm going to give myself the potty on both of those. Yeah, yeah, I will go with that as well. <laughs> that you know, not only did did that get said, it was it got said. You know, well, yeah, now I, I see they're having at least one more, but. That's probably it. I imagine it's going to get shut down after that, and this is going to get canceled, and that's going to get canceled. And they just kept on racing. Might have, might have bricked on that one. Just to tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love this next category, Luke. I wish I had put more. I was on the fence about it, so I'm, I'm glad you're excited about it. The next category is racer who doesn't look like a racer. And you say you kind of get that from what maybe the Dan Dockich podcast. I didn't steal this from Dockage. I, like I said, this was back to, like, okay. I kind of, uh, got it from Levitard. What is Dockage? Levitard, okay. No, I, I couldn't remember who you said. I knew you listened to Dockage, but <laughs> Levitard, okay. 
<laughs> so the racer who doesn't look like a racer. I'm just going to throw a few names out. I don't, I don't even know if I've got a potty. I guess we'll have to pick one. Christopher Dodd, your reigning NHRA Super Comp world champion, looks like an accountant. Like he just doesn't, when you take the helmet off, like that's not the guy that you expect to get out of the race car. That's Christopher. He just, he just, he's obviously a racer. He's obviously a good racer. Doesn't look like a racer to me. Slate Cummings is an easy one, Jed, because, I mean, he looks like he just stumbled out of Gold's Gym. Yeah, like a UFC fighter or something. That, that's, a, that's a much better one. UFC fighter, yes. Not so much a racer. Uh, obviously, another one. Very talented racer. And then one that you had a, as a nominee for the, the, the best appearing driver, Gage Birch. Like, Gage, to me, like, he's almost on that Bruno Massel level. Like, I think Gage should be in, like, underwear ads. Out of the, the the Fox Body Mustang that he does, so I don't know how to determine a winner from those three. But those were the three that, for whatever reason, jumped out. Like racer that doesn't look like a racer. Those were the three that came to mind. Yeah, very good choices. Um, I, I put Marco Pervolaris on my list. Um, you know, I, I think you could name off a bunch of racers that don't look like a racer, but I think I was focused more on successful like people that that seem to win a lot that doesn't look like a racer and marco came to mind um you know he, he just the guy looks oh man i hate i don't even want to say that because i think marco listen marco first of all i love you if you're listening but he's kind of nerdy looking like marco looks like he should be in a lab like breaking down chemicals and maybe disease and that type of stuff and trying to find cures for things i mean he just looks like he should have a pocket protector kind of like deal so doesn't look like a racer at all marco doesn't so he, he came to mind for me but marco yeah. looks like an astrophysicist an astrophysicist yes you nailed that i have no idea what they look like but i don't either. if i could if i could build one it would look like marco i'm sure of that i've actually got one jed off the cuff and i'm going to go ahead and give it my potty so roll with me okay. <clears throat> My potty for the racer who doesn't look like a racer, Dave Connolly, because he could absolutely be a nominee for best appearing driver, right? Oh, yeah. Fine looking. He's got this like distinguished look about him now. Like, he's got a hint of gray, still in great shape. Dave Connolly, to me, looks like the CEO bootstrapped his way to a Fortune 500 company. Like He's just got that aura and demeanor about him. And then he gets out of a wheel stand in Chevy too. He's a racer that doesn't look like a racer. I'm going Dave Connolly for the potty. <laughs> Very good choice. I'm going to go back to Slate. Uh, I feel like Slate definitely should, um, should be in a, on a UFC card somewhere, um, tying up with, you know, some heavyweight that's number four in the world and Slate coming the unknown out of Louisiana trying to make his debut in the UFC. It just, he just looks like, I mean, even when he walks around, it looks like he won't hurt somebody. And, uh, you know, I know that's not who he is, but doesn't look like a racer at all. So I'm giving it to Slate Cummins. Fair enough. We should have done one like um, the, the racer deserves sponsorship X because you're just talking about Slate and his Cajun roots. Like, like Johnny Ezel should be sponsored by, like, Tabasco or something <laughs> like that. We don't have any notes. We hadn't thought about it, but there are, there are certain sponsorships that just seem to fit. 
Yeah, there's some sponsorship opportunities being missed. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. All right, most dominant event slash weekend of the year. I think this one's relatively easy. Yeah, it is. But I'll throw out a, a, a couple of nominees, or at least one. Um, Brian Warner, who was collected a win and a runner-up in Superstock at the double divisional event at Virginia. That's been done a number of times. Some, several people have doubled at those. So it's not just the, the act, as impressive as it might be. It was what was on the line. Like he came into that event with a decent shot, maybe even as the as the leader in the clubhouse, so to speak, to win the world championship. And to perform at that level with that pressure, with those types of expectations, separates that a little bit in my book. So that was the race that really put things over the top, the weekend that really put things over the top and made it to where it was pretty obvious nobody's catching by Brian Warner. And to do it, like I say, with that level of expectation and, you know, it's a situation where he's racing under significantly more pressure than 99% of the field. And then to come out with that performance stands out to me. So I wanted to give that a shout. So Luke, I, I kind of went Homer here, which everybody knows I like to do. Um, I went back to the WFC in July where Corey Griffith came down from Ohio and Corey won our Thursday night gamblers race, which was a big deal. It was our largest gamblers race we'd ever had at the time. Cause that was a huge crowd at that event. And then he won, that was a $5,000 gamblers, by the way. Then he won the 10K main event on Friday, which had 547 entries, if I remember correctly, um, wiped out uh, the, at the time the largest foot brake field that had ever been assembled. Obviously, a ton of talent there. Very impressive. But what was most impressive is Corey is a no-box racer. He, he trans-brake races at home. I think uh, Quaker City is, is home for him. But he trans-brake races there um, and does not foot brake race. He foot breaks basically once a year and he brought his skills to a, a very competitive environment with a huge field full of talent and wiped the place clean for a couple of days so thought that was super impressive by Corey very dominant performance on his part and then nasty Nick Hastings uh, at the dream team event that was moved to Holly Springs Motorsports this year due to some uh, COVID guidelines that, that Memphis was dealing with. Britt and Galen moved that event to Holly Springs. And I, I could try to tell you everything that Nick did, but basically whatever they had bottom bulb-wise, he won it. He ran His the team, yeah, he, he took the picture with the broom. Um, his team won the dream team. Whatever bottom bulb races they had outside of that, he collected the winner circle uh, checks and trophies and whatever else. So a uh, clean sweep by Nasty Nick on the bottom at the Dream Team event at Holly Springs. So both of those guys get a mention from me. As impressive as all of those performances were, I think this was the easiest potty to hand out. Uh, the, you could go any other way in 2020. Most dominant event weekend performance. Uh, I think it's unanimous. Steve Sisko, the, the SF. 1.1 million. Cisco not only wins the million dollar main event in what was essentially a broke car, he comes back the next day and wins the $100,000 finale in a separate car. And to Steve's own quote, this could another one that could have been nominee for quote of the year, was something to the extent of how often do you win a race in which the, the check that you take home is worth more than the car you were driving? 
I did that twice in two days in two different cars. <laughs> yeah, I, that definitely gets the potty for me as well. Very dominant performance, uh, the highest stakes we've seen in bracket racing. And he goes back to back days in two different cars. And again, with the whole broke car deal on the, in the 1.1 itself, just incredible story and a dominant performance by Cisco. So uh, unanimous potty there. The next one might have been the toughest for me. It's our best event of the year. And I guess it's difficult on one level because we know a lot of the promoters of the events that we go to, so it's hard to single one out. But uh, personally for me, A, you know, obviously raced less in 2020 than in any year in, in recent memory. But as I look back, every race that I went to was good. I don't think that I attended a single race in 2020 that I look back on and be like, man, that was a dumpster fire. Right. Which is great. But at the same time, like there wasn't necessarily one that stood out to me as like, man, that's the best time I've ever had at a racetrack. So I didn't have an odds on like unanimous pick. I've got a couple that I'll, that I'll touch on and I'll break this up into two different ways as a viewer. Okay. Like because the live feed stuff has gotten so popular and the production value of it has come so far as a viewer, I thought both, guaranteed millions were amazing right in because i felt like both teams really went above and beyond anything that had been done before with uh kyle riley and the sfg team bringing in brian loans and just the professionalism that he brings to that along with the rest of that announcing staff like they're all great but loans color is awesome and then you know to have the story that he was able to tell with cisco there even better um and then what Clay Milliken and that group did at the Great American Guarantee Million and basically ended up just filling a lot of time during, you know, a lot of a rain-plagued weekend. I thought the ability that they had to tell stories of the racers was phenomenal. Like, I just, I thought both of those took the viewership side of it to the next level. If I had to pick one, I'd probably give a slight edge there to the 1.1, but not for... Uh, any of the reasons that I just mentioned, just simply because like the 1.1 had awesome weather and it was an easy viewing experience. It was an easier racing experience. The, the great American million. I really, I think I said this at the time as, as both a, a viewer and as a racer, I feel like had that race gone off smoothly due to weather, I think we, it might be like the shoe in pick for best race of the year. Like, I feel like they had a lot of cool things going on that just completely got sidetracked by a hurricane. I mean, we had two straight days of rain. Like, I, I think if that all goes smoothly, I'd probably look back on that as the coolest race of the year because it didn't. And because of where it fell in the calendar, like I, like I had said, when it happened, just the, the, the height of, tension i think going on in some cases because it's money that most of us had never raced for but i think in a lot of cases because we're in the middle of a swing that probably 50 60 percent of the field was in the middle of this crazy swing in which in a month they're going to spend more money in entry fees than they typically would in a year and it just heightened the tension of it a little bit like as I said at the time, took a little bit of fun out of it. If you put that race in a vacuum with perfect weather, I think it probably stands out. And, I, and I'm excited for Britton Galen to get that opportunity, hopefully in 2021. Um, as a racer, for me personally, I think the coolest event of the year was maybe an obvious one. Uh, for me, it was the U.S. Nationals. And it's always uh, a, a bookmark event. Like, it's always a highlight of my season. 
But this year, combining it with the All-Stars for the first time, then you had the inclusion of Super Street, which just added this other, you know, additional electric mix to it. Um, I didn't do any good at all, and I didn't even get to stick around for the last day this year. But Indy was electric, probably even as much or more so than normal. And uh, I just love that race. So Indy for me is probably the, the race of the season. How about you? Yeah, you had very good choices there. And, and you know, I thought how the, the 1.1, the mention of it, uh, introducing a new type of format to uh, on that stage was seemingly risky up front. But when it was taking place, it was like, wow, that was, you know, that, that was really cool the way they they did that and uh, broke it up, you know, a couple rounds here and then finished there. And um, I was I was probably skeptical about it up going into it, but uh, they made it work extremely well. So that was a great event and definitely worthy of, of being on the list. For me, again, uh, very homer here. Um, the Loose Rocker Door Slammer Nationals that just happened this past weekend. Um, 539 entries. You know, we've talked about the resurgence of the, the door cars and how they're coming back out to the track with the separation of door cars and dragsters and the door car fields are you know, when that first started, that format first started, it was maybe two and a half-ish to one dragster to door car. And I feel like that gap is closing quickly. It's starting to get closer to 50-50. And I've even been to races where the door cars outnumbered the dragsters. So really excited about door cars making their presence felt at the at the big races. But this is a door slammer event. It's just for door slammers, and it was very good money, but it, it you know it wasn't the life changing money they can race for, but it was darn good and for them to come out and those kind of numbers at the door slammer nationals, I thought that was really cool and was was happy to see that for the loose rocker guys and definitely excited to just kind of sit when I could and watch some door slammers get after it and race one another so thought that was a great event and then. For me, this is about as homer as it gets, but the, the BT World Foot Brake Challenge, number 14, July the 4th weekend, again, set a record for a foot brake race. That could be broken this coming weekend at the, the Loose Rocker Fall Foot Brake, Fall Foot Brake Frenzy at Piedmont. I um, imagine they're going to get a great crowd. They've already announced that it'll be two 20s instead of a 10, 20, 10, because Sunday doesn't look good, so they're going to race Friday and Saturday for 20 granders each day. I uh, expect that to have a great turnout. But in a year, especially only um, three-ish months removed from everyone's initial reaction to COVID and how that seemingly shut everyone's world down out of nowhere. And then for us to get the go-ahead that, that we were going to be able to have the event in Bristol in July and for that many footbreakers to assemble and put on a heck of a show perfect weather uh, great racing the facility was the guys were ready there they were excited to have us we were their first uh, major event of the year um, so it, it just had such an awesome feel to it great sponsors and for me that one was it and I know that's about as homer as you possibly get but doggone it Luke that's just who I am and I've freaking loved the bt world foot brake challenge and it was amazing this year so 
that was the best event for me by far. And I never even got on the racetrack. Far be it for me to crush you for having pride in your event, Jed. I think that that, uh, that comes from a, from a natural place. And at the same time, I can poke fun at you because the best racers in the world come from the state of Alabama and <laughs> national championship from here to eternity. Yeah. Appreciate you mentioning that. <laughs> <laughs> to root for. This is kind of parlaying off what we talked about earlier with Scotty and how there's certain racers that doesn't really have anything to do with their personality. It's just the fact that, okay, that dude wins too much. Like I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm over being happy for this guy winning. Right. But there are some racers who just transcend that, who no matter how much they win, you can't help but feel good for them. So that's where we were going here. The easiest winner, consistent winner to root for in 2020. Um, Marco Pervalaris's name comes up once again for me. I've, I don't know that I've met anyone that doesn't like Marco, right? Um, yeah. And wins at as high a level as anyone. Uh, Matt Dattis was another one that jumped out for me. Dattis, same deal. I, I, don't, I don't know that I've ever met anyone that told me that they didn't like Matt. And if you don't like Matt, I probably don't like you. Like he's just, he's a hard guy not to follow along. I don't know him particularly well, but always smiling, always seems to have a really good perspective on what's going on. You know, both in person and on social media, like just a guy that it's really easy to root for. And the winner for me here, and, and this just got hammered home, not only when he won the OG Million, but I think particularly in his interview with you, Jed, Kevin Brandon. Like that's a guy that I've rooted for for a decade, probably since I met him. And no matter how much he wins, and I know by his standards, he's had a down year, but there was a time where he was winning as much as anybody and, and he'll undoubtedly get back to that point at, at some point in his career. But no matter how much Kevin Brandon wins, like I'm going to be happy when Kevin Brandon wins. Like he's just a guy that I think is impossible not to root for. Yep. Uh, excellent list. Um, I'll go ahead and, and say that uh, I agree. That's a unanimous potty there. Uh, Kevin Brandon, Matt Dattis, absolutely love him. Love to see him win. And a guy that can smile when things don't go well. Marco Paravalaris, another guy that, as you mentioned, just it's impossible not to like Marco. Uh, again, smiling, whether your win night comes on or his. And uh, MKB, you know, an easy choice there. Very deserving, very humble, very honest, transparent, and uh, very talented. So I'd like to see KB get it done. I had a, a one mention on my list, Luke, and it's a guy that I didn't even know existed until – he pulled off the the double divisional win in Supercomp in his door car, uh, I guess about mid-year, and that's James Kunkel. We we got him, or I got him on the, the podcast and got to chat with him. Just You just tell this just down-to-earth guy just out there having a good time and doing something that people say can't be done. So I thought that was cool. We got another win later in the year. Uh, here recently, I guess, if you will. So James Kunkel was a guy that I, I I thought needed to be on the list. Definitely easy winner to root for. But I agree, KB should get the potty there. I want to circle back on Dattis, too, because Dattis and I ran at the Bristol Million. I think it was in the 30-grander. And Matt turned it like a thou or two red for me. I think it was a thou red. 
and so we're similar speed cars so we're side by side all the way down the track so i see his red light about 3 30 i look over and matt has got one hand up on the roll bar left hand's facing me up on the roll bar and he's just got this disgusted look on his face like i can't fucking believe right and i'm like oh my god i have pissed matt Dadis off look at this matt Dadis is mad right <laughs> to turn at bristol and we coach down and get our tickets and he's parked right in front of the et shack and he's he was in front of me but not 10 feet in front of me right he parks hops out of the car before i can gr- drive by him grinning ear to ear thumbs up great run man and i'm like this guy it's too much <laughs> and you just he is, not he is too much he's you gotta like Best single round of the year. We usually have a little bit of fun with this one uh, in years past. So this was the, the, the best side-by-side action, right? So I, I listed these out. Oh, yeah, I've got my winner. This is easy. Okay, so a couple of my nominees uh, before we get to the potty. The Springfling Million final, because Nick Folk was, what, like 14 total? And yeah, like- I think it was about that. Yeah, so that was a good one. Scotty Richardson and Nick Folk, you would expect nothing less. Talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. As it ended up, Jody Lang won his first NHRA World Championship this year, and it, and it wasn't particularly close. But it was in doubt uh, late in the season that the last race that he uh, could earn points at, he and Justin Lamb both had – Justin Lamb had a mathematical chance to, to catch him. Jody ended up – Justin ended up losing. Jody ended up winning the race. But while it was still in doubt – the first round of the resumption of that race, which I think was fourth round of Stock Eliminator, Jody Lang's got Cal Method. And keep in mind, this is quarter mile, Stock Eliminator, foot brake racing in the middle of the desert, and it's windy. And Jody Lang's in a freaking 12-second station wagon. You would, in theory, not be the tool for the job. And Cal Method beside him, I want to say, is 17 total off the bottom on the long track, and Jody Lang's wind light comes on. <laughs> stakes of the situation and the situation like that one just stood out to me it wasn't it wasn't a one thou package beats a two thou package but when you consider everything that goes into that round and everything that was on the line uh, that one jumped out to me um another one that when you look back in retrospect and it it seemed like a big round at the time first round of the of the nhra national event in st louis first round of super comp pitted christopher dodd and ray ray miller alongside one another. And if you remember at that point in the season, we said that Supercomp was a three-way race between those two and Troy Williams Jr. Well, Christopher Dodd got the win in that round. And I don't have the numbers in front of me. It was an ugly round. Like it was not either one of their best rounds of the season. I want to say that Christopher was like 50 and 88 and one. And Ray Ray was green. Odd round, like uncharacteristic for both of them. But I don't think either one of them knew in the moment. They knew, certainly knew that that was a big round. They didn't know in the moment that that was the beginning of the end, that Christopher Dodd would go on to not only win the race that weekend and take a relatively commanding lead, he would maintain that hot streak the following week to win the national event in Dallas and end up just distancing himself from the field and making it a runaway championship. It all comes back to that one round where if that goes the other way, perhaps the the whole point standings get flipped around. Um, and then I mentioned this a little bit earlier when we gave Danny Nelson the, the has-been award, that he was one round away. That top dragster final was impressive. Like his, Danny made a solid run. He's 16 and I think one above. Again, going 620s. Again, with the world championship hanging in the balance. 
and his opponent, um, Scott Parker, I believe, was nine package. And that was a round after being 10 package. Um, like that round stood out to me, not just for the numbers, which were impressive in and of themselves, um, but for the stakes involved. Um, but my, my, my potty here, Jed, has to go just for the sake of A, the story <laughs> that you know, we spent an hour on, rightfully so. Uh, B, the matchup, because it's, it's two of the most well-known most illustrious winners in our sport today and two guys that can go by initials. Like that's, that's a, that's a distinguishing thing, right? Yeah. Spout off your initials and everybody in the sport knows who you're talking about. We know who you're talking about when you say it was KB versus G-Dub. And then it just gets multiplied for me that by the fact that as bizarre as it was, we got to see KB, KB, KB versus G-Dub four times in a row in one round in the quarterfinals of the million with everything on the line that's the round of the year for all, maybe all the wrong reasons, but that's, that's the best single round of the year. Very good choice. All those very good runs and, and reliving those and those moments and thinking about the, the great performances within them. Well, some of them were great performances, uh, really cool stuff. And KB versus G dub, definitely a deserving potty from you. Mine was simple. Luke. Um, mine was around where the racer didn't have an opponent. Uh, but kind of did. The opponent was the clock. Four to five hundred racers at the Spring Fling Million come in and paid their money for a time shot to try to make a perfect run to win 50 grand. And it was seemingly impossible odds. And very late in the process, Steve Witherow comes to the starting line in a borrowed car from Virginia Troy Williams and makes a perfect run triple zero dead zero i think he was dial 467 and wins fifty thousand dollars with no opponent in the other lane um i thought that was incredible um uh, and it was something i got to call on the mic and obviously got super jacked about it when it happened because you know just think this this can't happen, but it did, and he won fifty thousand dollars for it. So that was one of the best moments I've ever been a part of. It was super cool, and really enjoyed it, and pretty awesome to see a guy win fifty grand for a time shot. So that gets my potty. I want to retract my potty. That's that's an obvious winner. <laughs> what is the single round of the year? How about the the round that netted the recipient fifty thousand dollars no split? Yeah, yeah, that's not. <laughs> It was pretty awesome. Withrow gets the potty. Unanimous. <laughs> leaves us with our final two awards, and they're technically the same awards, but they're dramatically different. We save these for last because these are the big ones. Jed, we've got the GOAT of the year. And as we've said before, GOAT here now in 2020 has multiple connotations because in my day, says the nearly 40-year-old old man, when you were the GOAT, that was not something to aspire to. That was the Bill Buckner. That was the, it's all your fault, right? And nowadays, you've got the GOAT, like the capital G-O-A-T GOAT greatest of all time, which we're going to condense into 2020. But regardless, I think we go lowercase GOAT first, just so that we end on a high note. Yeah. Okay. And with that in mind, I want to preface this because we did a, we did a poor job of, 
explaining this award last year, and it got us in a little bit of hot water, which was not the intention. What we're going for here with the lowercase goat of the year is not the person or the organization or the group deserving all of the blame. It's not like a screw-up award. Where my goat of the year goes to is the person or organization that is easiest for us to all blame, and we tend to to pile on a lot of times, uh, not rightfully so, right? It's just the easy target, so to speak. So with that in mind, my lowercase goat of the year, how about the National Hot Rod Association, the NHRA? Because for as long as I can remember, they've been an easy target. And let's be completely transparent, not necessarily the most sportsman-friendly organization within racing, right? Give them that. But kind of back to my bold prediction for the year, I didn't think there was any way that NHRA would put a season together, much less crown champions in the sportsman categories, much less make an NHRA divisional and or national event feel like like the, the, the couple of those that I attended in 2020 were probably the most quote unquote normal weekends, moments of 2020 in my life. Like everything just kind of went off like normal. And I, and I feel like it's easy to take that for granted because A, it's the way it's always been. And B, you can nitpick all of the things that you don't think NHRA does well. They pulled this off. They crowned champions and they held races and they handed out Oscars, Wallies, just like they have in years past. And I, I don't think that that's something that we could take lightly. I think that they deserve some credit for that. So my go to the year, the, the easy people to pile on when everything isn't going right, but might be deserving of a little bit harder look, the NHRA. Very good go to the year, your lowercase go to the year. Um, boy, they have been an easy target for us, and we've done our share here on the show of, of picking on and at them, but uh, they definitely – stuck to their vision and and their their goal of crowning champions and they got it done so good good on them um you know it might not have happened the way we all wanted to see it happen and and in the style that we all wanted to see but they uh they accomplished the the goal so good for them nhra definitely deserves some credit for wrapping it up the best way they could in a, a very challenging year and Truth be known, we have no idea what their challenges are behind the scenes. So proud of them for what they got done. My lowercase go to the year is Montgomery Raceway Park. Um, the way you described that so well, um, you know, the the people we want to blame when things aren't going well and, uh, you know, the easy targets to pick on. I mean, let's be honest, that's Montgomery Raceway Park. Um, they're being called... Uh, you know, folks that ruined the OG million for 2020 and talk about, you know, I've seen people say they just don't care. They just don't try. Um, you know, that's a, that's a good facility. It, it might have exceeded its capacity and exceeded what is needed for the OG million. Uh, or, or that what is needed for the OG million might have exceeded their ability at Montgomery Raceway Park. Good facility. They were dealt some difficult circumstances. Uh, the whole time and system challenge 
you know, they, they really didn't know that was going on and the scoreboards, the, the deal with those being so terrible for the event was a deal where they say they reached out to Brock Meyer. He said he wasn't traveling because of COVID and couldn't come fix them. So he was the only guy apparently in the world that could fix them. I don't know the whole deal, uh, but that place shouldn't get a, a terrible rap for what happened to the OG men. They definitely have some accountability and some responsibility for what happened, but um, everything's going to be fine. It's a change of venue. They're going to go somewhere that holds it, holds the crowd a little better that, you know, might be a little more prepared for what's going to be thrown at them. Uh, I get that. I, I get that they have some stake in the, in the failures that happened this year, but it's good facility. Don't, don't mark it off your list for events in the future. Um, give them another chance. Uh, hopefully they recover, but they've definitely been an easy target since uh, late October. And uh, for that, they get my lowercase goat of the year. All right. On to the capital goat, capital G-O-A-T, all caps, goat of the year, greatest of all time of 2020. Unanimous. Yeah, I mean, there's a there are several racers who had phenomenal seasons, right? Nick Folk had a hell of a year. Gary Williams had a had a heck of a season. Nick Hastings, Jeff Sarah. There's one goat, and it's obvious for 2020. It's Hunter Pat. Yeah, Honey Wayne, easy choice there. As you said, there there were some amazing performances and some great years in sportsman drag racing, but. Nobody did it at the level that Hunter did it. And again, when you look at his accomplishments, not only are they, it's a long list and very impressive, but they happen, Luke, in Iowa and Ohio and the South and the West, the Southwest. I mean, they were, it was everywhere. It was happening everywhere, Michigan. So this is a guy that dedicated himself to his craft went everywhere he could possibly go, raced hard, and did it on a very high level and has possibly had, you know, the the most impressive season we've seen start to finish. So easy choice for me and, and you, obviously, the capital G-O-A-T of the year. Yeah, from, from tip-off to buzzer, like just brought it seemingly every week. Um, I'm sure that we're going to miss something because I'm just trying to do this off the top of my head, but highlights include, uh, we basically ran the table in Cedar Falls, Iowa at the SFG race. I believe that was highlighted by a $50,000 win. Uh, also won a 50 to start the year down in Belrose. Uh, won at Byron Dragway's uh, Firecracker Nationals, what ended up, I believe, being a 60 grander. Um, Dragway 42, that was like a 20 or 25 grander at the ACE race, and I think he was in two finals in two days. And that's really just the tip of the iceberg. He was the MVP at the Galat Spring Fling. And what I think is, and I've said this before, most impressive about his season, well, two things. Uh, the first, his performance on the biggest stages. And he didn't win one of the four millions, uh, which, you, which you accurately did predict, Big Jed. But in three of the four, he not only made the split, was deep in the split. It was a semifinal finish at the 1.1 at Martin, a quarterfinal finish at the Guaranteed Million at Memphis, a quarterfinal finish at the OG Million in Montgomery. And I'm just telling you, 
good racers, great racers have gone an entire career of running, you know, for the, for years, it was $1 million race a year and have made it to that point once, if ever, 103 times in one year. And they weren't the highlights of his season. And then yeah. the second part to me that was just most impressive. And, and we've touched on this before were his bad weekends, like his bad weekends, like, Oh, you know, Hunter, Hunter failed this weekend. He lost in the semis. He lost in this, in, in the quarterfinals, like always in the mix, seemingly every time he showed up. Yeah. His bad weekends were incredible. Yeah. And, and his good weekends were double incredible. Yeah. And at a time where we say that parity and the level of competition is, is at a unsurpassed peak. And I think it is. You're not supposed to, to dominate. You're not supposed to, there, no one is supposed to be in at the last six cars every week. And seemingly Hunter did that all season long. It was really, really impressive. Yeah, I agree. And, and a great way to wrap up our best of 2020, Luke. Good list. That was a lot of fun. That was a fun show. It was, uh, I think it's going to get a little long. So uh, those of you that are still tuning in, we, we appreciate that very much. Hopefully the ending was everything you wanted and expected it to be. That was a, that was a good, fun show, Luke. The, the mission was accomplished. Glad we didn't start by saying this will be a nice, concise show because that's kind of what I had in mind. You know, meanwhile, the listener just punched through and said, it's a two-hour episode. What? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was long, but it was great. Really good list. Awesome show. A lot of fun. We appreciate everyone tuning in. Um, this was uh, probably not easy to listen to at times, but appreciate you letting us gas bag and have a lot of fun with these lists and um, just, you know, Hopefully you uh, enjoyed the content, a little something different from us. But that wraps us up. Uh, we definitely want to thank our sponsors, the people that help bring the show to you, and we want you to reach out to them each and every opportunity you have to uh, use their products and services. So we definitely appreciate the support they offer, and we hope you do as well. And, um, Luke, this is, uh, this is probably going to be a, a great list of shouts, but hopefully you got it prepared because I'm sending it to you. Shouts to us for not being easy to listen to. Big Jed, if our listeners are tuning in for a show that is pleasing to the ears, I mean, we've done it plus times, Jed. They know better. Shouts to JoJo Gary. Shouts to Junior High Perfect Hair. Shouts to Joe, his fine body. Was that, was that, was that the quote? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, I think I said exactly that. Just wanted to double check that. Shouts to, to Michael Pliska. I feel like I got onto him a little bit, but it's not. Like I, <laughs> I, I'm just, yeah, it, it, it's. Uh, it Pliska was good. knows. Shouts to the Delaware Destroyer, the one and only. Shouts to astrophysicists and UFC fighters. Shouts to James Kunkel. And of course, shouts to, what did we say, Vega Ron? I think it was Vega John. I hope it was Vega John. Okay. Shouts to both of them. To Vega John and the Nova Gina. <laughs> Great list of shouts, Luke. Enjoyed it as always, uh, folks. Please reach out to us and let us know that you never want to hear a show like this again, or you want to hear much more of this, or just tell us something. Let us know you're listening. You can do that right there on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. You can send us a message where. 
only producer Mark will see it, or you can put it out there for the world to see. We don't care. We just love to hear from you. So let us know what's going on out there. And uh, if you're Twitter users like me, you can reach out to Luke and or myself on Twitter. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. Hit us up on the Twitter and let us know what you think. And I uh, love hearing from you. So reach out to us anytime. That wraps us up, guys. Thank you for tuning in. Long show. Hope you enjoyed it. Congrats to all the potty winners. We'll get another list of those next year. You'll hear from us again real soon with some more Sportsman Drag Racing talk. Until then, be safe, be well, and we'll talk to you again soon. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by Autometer and the Autometer Hot Rod Holiday Special. Uh, what Autometer is offering any Autometer purchase through any distributor, whether that's JEGS, Summit, Memphis Performance, this is bracketracing.com, any Autometer purchase between now and the end of the year, 12-31-2020, is eligible for this Hot Rod Holiday Bonus Rebate. Uh, so wherever you purchase your Autometer product from, uh, simply print off the rebate form, fill out the rebate form, return it to Autometer. Autometer then re rebates you uh, what is essentially 10% of your purchase. It, it's tiered, but say if you spend $1,000, it's $100. If you spend $100, uh, you get $10 back. And this is something that Autometer's done for several years, so I can just speak from experience through several of our customers. Autometer is really good about actually sending the rebate. This is a very easy process. Again, you simply complete the form following your purchase, send it to Autometer, and within a couple of weeks, you get a check in the mail. So again, Autometer products, the rebate is, uh, is functional wherever you purchase Autometer. Um, and again, you can purchase uh, select Autometer products through thisisbracketracing.com. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, 
This is Bracket Racing Elitist for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.